Welcome to the Reset Podcast. I'm Liz Tran, an executive coach to founders and CEOs of fast-growing tech companies. And I attribute my success to my spiritual practices, which are rooted in mindfulness and Zen Buddhism. In this podcast, I combine business advice with spiritual lessons to help you lead a courageous, authentic, and fulfilled life. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. I am so thrilled to be recording. And part of that is because I have a recent and newfound sense of gratitude for my health and well being. I've been really sick this past week. I had a pretty terrible cold, which I know sounds really silly because people struggle with more intense illnesses on a regular basis. But I was pretty, pretty laid out. I had to take medication to sleep every night and I had this cough that wouldn't go away and was just blowing my nose all the time and had really bad head congestion. So it wasn't really horrible, but it was surprising and it was persistent. So I thought about it all the time and now not having to think about it, feeling healthy, waking up, feeling really good for the first time this week. I'm just so grateful for the health that I normally take for granted. And that's why this podcast topic today the new mind-body connection is especially apropos because during this week where I wasn't feeling very well, I was also concurrently reading a book about health and I learned so, so much from this book. It gave me so much insight into my experience as a person. It helped me understand our culture and society better, helped me understand mental illness and all sorts of chronic diseases better. It just really blew my mind. And I think that this says a lot, especially given that I really do care about health. You know, I try to stay current with the latest science and try to eat appropriately and tend to myself in a way that supports that. I've always been really interested in that. But this book totally opened up doors that I didn't even know existed. And so I wanted to dedicate this podcast episode to the wisdom and the learnings and the reflections that have been really life-changing to me and given me so much solace and empowerment. And I wanted to thus share those learnings with you. And the book is called The Myth of Normal by Dr. Gabor Mate. And you may have heard his name. He's written books in the past. He's also been really active on lots of different podcasts where he's been a guest, probably because he's promoting this book that just came out. You may have seen this book on your bookstore shelves. And I want to highly, highly recommend that everyone go out and pick up this book. And if you're wondering if you should, I'm going to give you a little bit of a preview here in this podcast, especially because the book is 500 pages. (laughs) It's pretty dense, but well, well worth it. And I want to distill some of that wisdom that I learned here for you today. Okay. So this podcast episode is called the new mind body connection. And the reason why is because I've always known that the mind and body are connected. I think we all intrinsically and kind of innately know that. Most obviously, it's how our physicality and our movements have the ability to impact our emotions. So for instance, we all know the feeling of being upset or angry about something and then doing a workout and feeling much more calm afterwards. 
or it's the way that you feel that you can access new ideas by going on a walk or doing yoga. It's being able to brighten your mood and elevate your emotions by doing something physical with your body. I think we all are so familiar with that. We know the high from exercise. We know how good it feels when we eat healthy or get lots of sleep. So we know that that's the direction that it can go. It's the experience of doing X and Y inputs via the physical body that then show results to the emotional state as well. I feel like I'm always using my body to assist me when I need to make some improvements when it comes to my mind or my heart. So if I'm about to sit down and write something, then I'll do some yoga and pranayama in advance to open up my creative channels. If I'm feeling really upset about a bit of news, then I'll go for a run and shake it off. If I get into an argument with a friend or dev, then I know that I need to first do something to move all that anger out of my body before I have a direct conversation with them. And so we're not talking about that today. (laughs) I think we all get that. We understand that. We do that. We use our physical bodies to help us improve our states of mind and the way that our emotions are functioning. But what is spoken about in this book, The Myth of Normal, is the opposite of that, which is that our emotions, our deep-seated emotional responses to trauma in particular, have the profound ability to impact our health. And if we're not aware of this and we're not conscious of what our emotions are doing and the havoc that they're wrecking upon us, then we won't actually be able to see the impact that they have on our health as well. And in the first couple chapters of the book, the author, Dr. Gabor Mate, he brings up a couple of research studies that really blew my mind. And the first was that there are correlations between patients who have uterine cancer and also personality traits of being people pleasers. Studying a group of women who had this type of cancer, they all rated much more highly on repressing their own feelings in order to support and tend to the needs of others than people who didn't have expressed uterine cancer. And he also saw the same thing in people who are diagnosed with ALS, where the nurses and doctors who worked in centers to diagnose these patients often saw this trend that were unfortunately the really, really nice people, the ones who put themselves last and who seemed to care more about their family's reactions and their family's needs than their own, those were the ones who were inevitably diagnosed with ALS again and again. And what Dr. Monte says is not that repressing our own needs causes these diseases, but rather it can actually inhibit a lot of the protective barriers that we have against disease. So for instance, you know, we all have precancerous cells that are living in our body at any given time, but for the most part, they are staved off from becoming tumors or becoming deadly to us by a special type of of cell, the natural killer cell that keeps those malignancies at bay. And what he saw in a group of men that he studied who had gone through numerous traumas in their lives that hadn't been resolved, they had a much lower ratio of those NK cells in their body, those helpful cells that can prevent cancer from coming on. So what Dr. Monte is saying is that We look at people who suffer from illness, disease, 
whether it's physical or mental, and we look at them and we think that they are not normal. We see them as abnormal. But really, the reason why they have those diseases is because our society is actually what's toxic, right? The environments that we're bringing people into, whether it's late stage capitalism, the patriarchy, oppression, and racism, these are actually the things that are creating disease and toxicity in the world. And he brings up this amazing example. There's an actual study that shows that the greater the incidences of racism that a black woman faces, the higher her rate for asthma. Women in general now are diagnosed with autoimmune diseases at four times the rate of men. And a lot of that is because of the role that women play in our society where they're really bearing the burden of the patriarchy. Child and teen incidences of depression and suicide are going up. Infertility is up. Mental illness is up. The average number of prescriptions that a person is on has quadrupled in the past couple of decades. And what this book basically says is that, you know, this is all too fast for it to be genetic. What is really at play here is that our society and our culture is so toxic, and that is what is creating illness in people. And really what it comes down to at the end of the day is that so much of our physical health is attached to the traumas that we face as human beings. And those are both what he titles as capital T traumas and lowercase t traumas, capital T traumas being events like sexual assault, abuse, violence, and also the lowercase t traumas, the latent traumas that so many of us experience just from being active and participating members of society. And I love the book's definition of trauma, which is that trauma is not the event or the action that happened to you, but rather the wound that that incident created. Just as a car accident might happen in just a matter of minutes, the broken leg and concussion that you can get from it, the effects of that linger for months or even years. And the same thing is true for trauma. What happened to us may have only taken a matter of seconds, minutes, days, but the effects can linger and linger unless properly processed and tended to. And we don't realize that. And what happens is that these unresolved traumas, they continue to sit in our systems and the result is expressed in physical health. And now I just want to read a little snippet of the book here, if it's okay with you guys. In 1982, a German study presented at the Fourth International Symposium on the Prevention and Detection of Cancer found certain personality traits to have a strong association with breast cancer. 56 women admitted to hospital for biopsy were evaluated for characteristics such as emotional suppression, rationalization, altruistic behavior, the avoidance of conflict, and super-autonomous self-sufficiency. Based on the interview results alone, both interviewers and blind raters who had no contact with the women were able to predict the correct diagnosis in up to 94% of all cancer patients and in about 70% of the benign cases. It has been shown that women with cancerous breast lumps characteristically exhibited quote-unquote extreme suppression of anger and of other feelings in a significantly higher proportion. 
so it's kind of amazing, this link between the way our emotions and our inability to process them show up in the body. And for me, this was especially striking because it made me think about the past three years where I've been seeing so many doctors, doing so many fertility treatments, having been tested so many times, and no one can ever tell me why Deb and I can't get pregnant, but yet no one has ever asked me about my emotional state either. They did so many tests to see if there was anything physiologically wrong, like they did this one where they inserted dye into my uterus to see if the the uterus and the fallopian tubes were connected. So they put the dye in and they put me under an x-ray. They shot saline water into my uterus to make sure it was the right shape. And so I think all those tests are, of course, good because you want to rule out and see if there's something physical that can be fixed. But as I read this book, I started to think how shocking it is that before I go into a stressful procedure like an IUI or an egg retrieval or even an embryo transfer, that no one had stopped to ever ask me if it was a good time to do it from a stress perspective to see how I was feeling. And it's funny, like, you know, when you go through something like this and you're very open and public about it, you get a lot of advice. And so much of the advice is like, just relax. I have this friend and they tried for years. And then when they stopped trying and they went on vacation and they drank a lot and partied and they got pregnant immediately. And I think there's so much validity to those stories where once the mind has found peace and calm, then the body can then follow suit. And recently, one of my dear friends told me about someone very close in her life. This couple had been trying for years They did IVF three times. It didn't work. They were so frustrated. They decided to just give up and take a break. And then the woman partner in that relationship, she wound up quitting her very stressful job. And they became spontaneously pregnant without IVF just a couple months later. And so there is this real connection. And in reading this book, I felt so seen and so understood, even though I hadn't understood myself. The past three years have been extraordinarily stressful for me, and they've coincided directly with me rebuilding my business. So us starting to try to get pregnant happened around the same time when I actually had to close Reset. And now I can approach this process with more gentleness in my heart for myself, because I can see that my body hasn't been failing me, but rather it's just been trying to protect me Because if I'm feeling so much emotional turmoil and upheaval, of course it's going to say, yeah, maybe you shouldn't have a baby right now and add even more stress onto your plate. But what this book has provided me is this amazing reframing of my relationship with my body where it's not one of trying to push it into doing exactly what I want it to do but rather knowing how intelligent it actually is because it is so intricately connected to my emotional state and there's no way of going around that. If I'm feeling stressed out in my heart, then my body is going to know that too. And I just thought that that was so wonderful. And so what this book says is that in order to tend to our physical bodies, we first must tend to our traumas. We must look at the wounds that we have and give them a lot of tenderness and a lot of care. 
and invest our attention and our resources into helping them heal. I just love this concept that to live a healthy life is to fundamentally engage in the intentional act of healing one's emotional world. You see, it's not a nice to have, right? It's not an extra thing that you do. Healing our emotional wounds is as essential as drinking water, sleeping, eating, tending to our physical body as well. Okay, so how do we do this exactly? How do we tend to the wounds of our emotional self so that we also ensure that we are healthy inside and out? And there's a whole section of the book that gives suggestions, and I'll just sort of summarize the ones I found most impactful. The first one is doing a self-inquiry exercise to be done on a weekly or daily basis, whatever frequency seems right to you. But it's basically asking yourself, If you have overcommitted yourself, if you are saying no to the things that you need to say no to or not, because when we as humans do not say no and set the appropriate boundaries, then our body begins to set those for us. We all know those people in our lives who are workaholics and they push themselves and push themselves until they get so severely burnt out but they don't stop and they just keep going until they have a major health breakdown. That is the body saying no, right? (laughs) But you can prevent that from happening by first allowing yourself to say no and to put up a boundary before your body needs to do it for you. And so what you ask yourself at regular intervals is question number one, in my life's important areas, what am I not saying no to? And the areas where you might look most closely are in work and personal relationships. So at work, are you saying yes to additional projects? Are you taking home too much work on the weekends? Are you giving up time that could be going towards yourself or towards your loved ones? And in your personal life, are you accepting invitations from friends when you'd be better served by resting? Do people ask you for favors on short notice and do you comply? Is there something that happens in your family where you play the role of the caregiver to your parents or to your siblings? And so you ask yourself regularly, what situations and with whom do I find it most difficult to say no? And then you ask yourself, why do you feel guilty? And this is something that the author writes that I really liked. There is a world of difference between a considered conscious yes and a compulsive suppression of a no. Admittedly, the realities of modern-day work can blur the distinction we may rationally decide that holding on to a job requires saying yes to demands that tax us, demands that we would rather rebuff. All too many people find themselves in such situations for the sake of sheer economic survival. In such cases, we can ask ourselves whether the price we pay is worth the stress thereby incurred. That millions lack the freedom to even raise that question is a societal problem of vast proportions. But for many of us, the absence of the no does not serve either our personal or economic well-being. Only you can know which denial of no characterizes your own situation. Even so, just getting clear that we are consciously and purposefully accepting a situation that incurs chronic stress is already a step up from doing so automatically. When I read this, I immediately thought of two very specific people in my life 
who I have a hard time saying no to. And whenever I say yes, it stresses me out. I usually don't complain very much in life, but it always, always happens in these two situations. And when I read this section of the book, I just thought to myself, I can't do this anymore. Why am I incurring this chronic stress just because I feel like I have some sort of emotional obligation? It's not fair to me. There are these hidden stories around our inability to say no. There's this underlying narrative that so many of us possess if we struggle to set boundaries and say no. One, saying no means I can't handle something. It's a sign of weakness and I have to be strong. Two, I have to be good to deserve being loved. If I say no, I'm not lovable. Three, I'm responsible for how other people feel and what they experience. I mustn't disappoint anyone. Four, if I turned down my friend, spouse, colleague, parent, neighbor, I would feel deservedly guilty. Five, it's selfish to say no. Six, it's not loving to have anger. And so remember that these are just stories, these stories that were probably ingrained from some patterning in your family of origin, and to just check in about whether or not they're actually true and whether or not these stories are serving you. So this first point is about making sure that you're saying no appropriately. And he raises a second point, which is to make sure that you're also saying yes when you really want to say yes. So is there something that you want to do that you want to manifest or create or say that you have put aside because you feel like you have other duties and responsibilities? What joys or passions have you deprived yourself of because you feel that you don't deserve them? He says in the book, the creative force within, whichever way it calls us, is a powerful support to healing. What is in us must out. Otherwise, we may explode at the wrong places or become hopelessly hemmed in by frustrations, wrote that wise medical scientist, Hanno Selye, in The Stress of Life. I've learned this lesson well. Whenever something in me demanded to be uttered and I gave it no expression, I suffocated in silence. The books I have written, including the one now in your hands, came from heeding the call of what was in me that needed out. Okay, now a third point that he makes in the book about what can be very healing is the concept of authenticity, living an authentic life. And I think this was really powerful because often hard to put your finger on what it means to be authentic, right? It's one of those words that is often hard to describe just in the same way that love (laughs) is. We know what, we all know what love is. We all understand it, but it can be hard to put into words and authenticity is one of those. The way we can think about it is you can ask yourself and just check in to see if you are embodying authenticity and you can ask yourself if there is some inner guidance that you feel within you that you are resisting or avoiding. Are there any truths that you know to be real that you're withholding from expressing because you're afraid? Are there any values that you really believe in that you've abandoned? Are there needs that you have or desires that you've abandoned? Are there any fears or narratives that are keeping you from being yourself? And even have you recently touched upon what your values are? Do you even know what it is that you stand for? In a way, authenticity can be described as the commitment to not betraying yourself. 
Are you afraid of displeasing others? Are you people-pleasing? Are you putting other people's needs before your own? If so, then that's a good sign that you probably should invest more in authenticity because what you need and what you want to express and what you believe should always be a priority. And then a fourth point that the book makes is about agency. So the fact that having agency can be really healing and agency essentially means the capacity to take responsibility for your existence. So knowing that you have power, knowing that you can make an impact, knowing that you can change your circumstances, that's what agency is. And so I started thinking about that myself and where I might not be expressing agency, what parts of my life still feel really sticky or unresolved. So then I did a full inventory of everything, big, small, happening now in the present moment or far back in the past anything emotionally that felt really heavy and unresolved, even if I was able to generally push it away from my mind on a day-to-day basis. I really asked myself to be brutally honest about what it is that still feels sad or upsetting in my life, even if I'm doing a pretty good job avoiding thinking about it every day. And the first thing that came to mind was a conflict that I've been having with my brother where we're not speaking. And he's one of my only few family members that I have in my life. And we've never really experienced something like this before. Up until asking myself this question, I had really just resolved it, quote unquote, in my own mind by saying that the ball was in his court. And if he wanted to reach out, he could. And I felt like, okay, I'm at peace with this. Until my husband and I were just sort of cleaning up the house a little bit. And we looked in this closet we haven't looked at in a while. And we saw this comforter that my brother had left at our apartment. And I just started crying. I was crying over seeing a comforter. And to me, that was a really clear sign that this thing that I thought I had taken care of mentally actually wasn't resolved at all. And that there's something there. There's something there for me to do, for me to express my agency in this situation. It is really important to both my emotional and my physical well-being. And so then the second thing I thought about, the second and only other thing that came to mind was this decades-long anger that I've had towards my mom. I haven't been able to forgive her for all the things that she subjected me to in childhood. I haven't been able to forgive her for kicking me out of the house when I was 15. I haven't been able to forgive her for not being a parent and not being a person who I needed. And I've really held on to that anger. What I realized from reading this book is that I think that anger is holding me back from being a mother myself. Something profound that I read in the book was about the fact that forgiveness isn't about condoning the actions or behaviors of another person, but rather it's simply about just accepting that those actions did happen and then not necessarily wishing that the past be any other way than the way it was. So I got to thinking about that. Is it possible for me, for the sake of my own emotional and physical health, to hold both? One, to be able to hold that yes, what my mom did was not right. It's not the way any parent should treat a child. And can I also just accept that that is what happened and to let go of the anger and the heat that I have around the fact that my childhood happened the way that it did? And the conclusion I came to was that I think it's finally time for me to let go of it. 
it's for my own good. It's interesting because my acupuncturist who I was seeing when I was in Canada over the holidays last year, so almost a full year ago, almost 12 months ago, she actually said something to me in one of our acupuncture sessions. She said, you know, I think it would be really healing for you on your journey towards motherhood for you to release the anger that you have around your mom. And of course, (laughs) pretty ironically, I got really angry. (laughs) And I said, I can't do that. I don't want to release that anger. I don't want her to have a free pass. And I can't condone what she did. And my acupuncturist, I feel really badly in hindsight, the fact that I reacted so strongly when she was only trying to help me. She just said, oh, no, it's okay. Yeah, like, do it on your own time. Do it on your own time. And I really wasn't ready then. I wasn't ready. And I, around that time, I'd even bought a book by the Dalai Lama called Forgiveness. And so I was sort of thinking about it. I opened up the book one page and I shut the book really quickly, put it on my shelf. And I said, you know, now is not the time. I cannot do this right now. But now I actually do really feel ready. And I think that if there's just one thing that this book provided me, it was that I have the agency to change these unresolved things. And it doesn't mean that I'm changing the people who are involved. It doesn't mean I can make them who I want them to be, but I can lighten the load on the burden that it takes over in my life. I can choose agency. I can choose a path of healing over a path of staying stuck in the pain of the past. So here I am. I did some research last night and I found a book called Radical Forgiveness that I ordered at McNally Jackson, which is my local bookstore. And right after I finish recording and editing this podcast, I'm going to go pick it up and read the book. And then I'll do an episode on forgiveness in a couple weeks, (laughs) share what I learned a little bit, let you guys keep me accountable to see if I've actually made the progress that I want to make against these two things that have been really draining my emotional energy. So that's it, everyone. Um, Just as a quick reminder and summary, some ways that we can give TLC and some support to our beautiful wounded parts of ourselves are one, to ask what it is that we're not saying no to. Where are there no's and boundaries that we actually need to be expressing that we're currently not? And then point two, what are the yeses that we're not saying yes to? What do you want to create, manifest, dream, say, be that you're not letting yourself do for whatever reason? Three, where is there opportunity for more authenticity in your life? How can you continue to put yourself first? Can you prioritize your own emotional and physical needs beliefs, values, without fear that you'll be rejected by others. And then finally, agency. Can you do an inventory into the parts of your life that perhaps still feel sticky or unresolved? Maybe you thought that you've made a resolution with them, but like me, you see a duvet in the closet and then you start crying and realize that there's actually more work to be done. And then ask yourself what you can do, not for others, but rather to create more healing for yourself. Thank you everyone so much for listening. 
I really apologize for how scratchy my voice was. I thought that I would actually sound better, but I realized as I've been recording, I still sound pretty sick, but I wanted to get a podcast episode out because I haven't been consistent and I'm really, really trying to be with an every two week schedule. And so, but I also know that sound quality is really important when you're listening to a podcast and I apologize for sounding very stuffed up. I have linked to the book that we talked about this whole episode in the show notes. I've also linked to my new revamped newsletter that just went out last week, which I got really positive feedback on. So thank you everyone for writing me and telling me that you like the new format. We are answering reader Q&As on the newsletter. I'm also sharing a theme for the month and then also sharing a couple things that I really like, like books or shows or products, whatever it might be. None of it's sponsored, I promise. And the newsletter only comes once a month. So please sign up in the show notes, subscribe to the podcast, rate and review the podcast if you find some morsels of it to be supportive. And lastly, as always... Remember to love yourself, listen to yourself, say yes to life so that life can say yes to you. See you all in two weeks. Bye.